You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, as I said, we're, we're going to be talking about dealing with fools. Now, you know, ever, ever have to deal with a fool? I mean, you ever have to deal with, with someone who, who, who thinks they have all the answers? You know, someone who thinks they're the smartest person in the room? You know, someone who, who just loves the sound of their own voice? Ever have to deal with a fool? Well, you know, it reminds me of this old Jewish proverb that says, don't approach a goat from the front or a horse from the back or a fool from any side. Uh, you know, that reminds me of, of Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, where we're told, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And we're like, wait, what? You know, I mean, it says on the one hand, do not answer a fool. It says on the other hand, answer a fool. You know, we're like, well, what's the lesson in that? Well, the lesson is, frankly, stop talking to fools. <laughs> and so this morning, David discovers in this chapter how foolish it is to deal with fools. So now as we pick it up in verse 1, verses 1 through 13, we now meet the fool in this passage. And so in verse 1, it starts by saying, Now Samuel died, and all of Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they, and they buried him at his house at Ramah. Now we'll pause here in verse 1, uh, because before we meet the fool of this passage, we're told in verse 1 that first of all, the prophet Samuel has died. He's, he's passed away. Now let's remember the context. Remember, sometime back, back in chapter 16, Samuel anointed David to be, to be the next king, the future king of Israel. And as a result, Saul, the current king, has been hunting David down. He, he's been chasing David down. He wants David dead. And so, so David's been on the run. He's been hiding. And then last week we saw that, that David had the opportunity to, to, to get some revenge, to, 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 to get some payback, to, to kill Saul. But David chose not to kill Saul. Instead, he forgave Saul. Then those two parted ways, and they went their own separate ways. We, we, we saw that Saul went back to his home. Meanwhile, David and his men went back to their hideout in the caves of En Gedi. And now that brings us here to this chapter where now we're told that the prophet Samuel has died. And really, Samuel's death really marks the beginning of a, of a new chapter in the nation of Israel. And I should say really a sad chapter for the nation of Israel. Because keep in mind, Samuel was considered the last of the judges. And we know that the book of Judges, the days of the Judges, this was a period of time where, where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And so now, with the death of, 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 of Samuel, it now seems that everyone, including David, by the way, are doing what is right in their own eyes. Now, keeping that in mind is going to help us understand some of the events that we read in this chapter this morning. So now we finish up verse 1. Where after the death of Samuel, verse 1 says, Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man of my own uh, whose business was in Carmel. This man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and, and, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite, just meaning that he was of the tribe of Caleb. Now, let me ask you, think, think of some of the weirdest baby names you've ever heard in your life. Now, all of us can probably think of, you know, some of the names that Elon Musk has recently given his kids. I mean, he, you know, he's got a son named X and, 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 an, and I think a daughter named Y, or maybe it's the other way around. You know, and, and, and what's weird is, is, is not X, Y, it's written out in mathematical, you know, mathematical formulation. 
Why? Well, I don't know. It's just weird. You know, but, but speaking of weird baby names, I read the other day about a woman in Wales who named her daughter Cyanide, like the poison. Named her daughter Cyanide. Uh, the New York couple who named their, their baby boy COVID. And then there's a couple in Alabama who named their son. And his, his, his name, they spelled it with a PH instead of the letter F. So they, they named him Felony with a, with a PH. Felony with a PH. That's just felony stupid. Now, on that note, we now read about this man named Nabal. Now, by the way, Nabal is a Hebrew name that means fool. It means fool. Now, you're thinking, what kind of parents name their child, name their son, fool? I don't know. Maybe his dad was Mr. T. Remember Mr. T? You know, I pitted a fool. You know, I don't know. I just, but, but they named their son fool. Now, you have to understand that in that day, in that culture, Jewish parents would often name their children based on either a, a physical characteristic they were born with. You know, for example, Esau. Esau is a name that means red and hairy. How do you think he got his name? He came out of the womb, red and you guessed it, hairy. So they named him, you know, red and hairy, Esau. Or, or they would name their children based on, on some kind of a personality trait that they demonstrate when they came out of the womb. And so evidently, Nabal's born, and his mom and dad look at him and said, this kid's going to be some kind of fool. So that's what they name him. They name him fool. Now listen, what, what, what do you think of? What, what do you picture in your mind when, when, when you hear the word fool? What, what do you picture? You know, maybe you think of someone who's gullible, someone who, who believes just about anything. You know, someone who still believes that the Broncos still have a chance at the playoffs. You know, <laughs> I mean... You know, now listen, in the Bible, the, the, the Bible does not use the word fool that way. Instead, the Bible uses the word fool uh, to, to, to describe a person who's rejected God, a, a person who, who refuses to walk with God, to walk in God's ways, a person who has rejected the word of God. For example, Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So now that's the kind of man that Nabal was. In fact, verse 4 describes Nabal as, 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 as being harsh and badly behaved at the end of verse 4. Harsh and badly behaved. Now, the word harsh, it's a Hebrew term that can be translated hard or stubborn or belligerent. That's the kind of man Nabal was. He, he, he was. he was harsh. He was stubborn. He was belligerent. Not only was he harsh, uh, but, but it goes on to say that he was badly behaved. Now, in the original, this, this word badly behaved is not talking about bad manners. Uh, the, the old King James, I'm sorry, the, the new King James renders it evil in his doings. He was evil in his doings. Literally, the Hebrew word here means that he, he acquired his wealth dishonestly. You know, earlier it said that he was very wealthy, but it's implying that the reason he was very wealthy was because he evidently was ripping people off. He, he, was, he, he, was, he was making shady business deals. He had acquired his wealth dishonestly. That's what this word means. Now, in contrast to Nabal, now we meet his wife. It says her name was Abigail, and it says that she was discerning and beautiful. Now, listen, this is a tale as old as time, Right? I mean, we've all seen this. We've all seen how opposites attract. I mean, we've seen it over and over. You know, I mean, you know, we, you know, we, we've seen it here. We've seen it there. We, we've all seen how, how you know, maybe, maybe uh, yeah, he's messy. She's neat. She's hot. He's not. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you've got a guy who's adorkable. You know, an, an adorkable guy who's, who's married to like a supermodel or, or a Hollywood actress. You know, kind of like uh, the actress Christina Hendricks, who was married at one time to, to Jeffrey Arendt. I mean, isn't he, isn't he adorkable? 
<laughs> and so that was, that was Nabal and Abigail. A- opposites attract. Nabal definitely outkicked his coverage. And so verse 4 continues <coughs> and says, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and, and, and David said to his young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him and say, Peace be to you. Peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that, that you have shearers. Now, your, your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. They missed nothing all the time that they were with us in, in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we came on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at the hand of your, uh, at the hand of your servants and to your son David. <clears throat> and when David's young men came, they had said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and, and, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? There are many in, in these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears and give it to men who come from where I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and they came back and told him all of this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of his strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. So now to really picture this, we have to understand that that in those days, shepherding was very dangerous. And it was dangerous not only because you had to watch out for the predators like, like the wolves and the lions and the bears, but even more dangerous than the predators were, were, were the marauders and, and the raiders who would kill you to steal your sheep. And, and, and so the picture was that David and his men were providing protection. They were providing security, and they did it voluntarily. They just did it, it, it really because, because David himself was once a shepherd himself, and so he had a heart for these guys to protect them. So he's out there protecting them, and now it's, it's the shearing season. Now what that means is that it was customary during the shearing season uh, to have a big feast. And so David you know, is, is basically just asking if he and his men can be invited to the big feast. In fact, the law of the day, the custom of the day, basically dictated that, that, that you were to invite the poor and, and, and the hungry, the needy, and the homeless to a feast like this, let alone if somebody worked for you voluntarily, like if they provided protection for you. But now Nabal, remember, he, he's a guy that has a reputation of being harsh and, and stubborn and belligerent. And so Nabal could care less about the custom of the day And so not only does he tell David and his men and and say something like, you know, it sucks to be you, but then on top of that, he insults them. He's like, who's David and who's the son of Jesse? You know what? There are many servants that that have turned away from their master. Now, Nabal was not saying that he did not know who David was. On the contrary, he's saying he does know who David is. He knows that David was a servant of King Saul, but now David's on the run. He's, he's running from King Saul. Saul's hunting him down. And, and, and he also knows that many are hoping that one day David will become the next king of Israel and that, and that everybody's wishing for this. Every, and so he's saying, you know what? Everyone else in Israel might love you, but I don't. Kind of reminds me, you know, uh, not too long ago, people were chanting something like, you know, not my president. Well, in this case, he's like, you know what? Not my monarch. You know what? You might have everyone else's vote in the land, but you don't have my vote. And so he's, he's insulting David. And so now David, as we, as we pick this up, is about to go deal with this fool. But as we pick it up in verses 14 through 35, we, we get some principles when it comes to dealing with fools. 
Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were with them in the fields as long as we went with them. Uh, They were a wall to us both by night and by day, and all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider this, what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. He is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. So one of the servants goes back and reports to the wife what's happening. And, and, and he's like, listen, you know, David and his men, they, they've been protecting us when we're out there shepherding and, and tending the sheep. They were providing protection. And, and then they just asked if they could be invited to dinner, get, get, get a little bit to eat. And then not only did Nabal send them away empty-handed, he insulted them on top of it. And then in verse 17, and this is telling, they say, he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Uh, the, the New King James says he's such a scoundrel that no one can speak to him. The old King James says he's a son of Belial. Now, the Hebrew word that's used here uh, is, is really a derogatory term. It's a derogatory term that means the son of a worthless man. Now, like we have a derogatory term in our own day, kind of a cuss term in our day, and we abbreviate it sometimes and say, you know, that guy's an S-O-B. And that's what they were saying. That this was a derogatory term. They're calling him a son of a worthless one. He's, he, you know, he, he, he can't be reasoned with. You see, this reveals that, that, that Nabal might have been feared, but he was not respected. I mean, everyone knew how hard-hearted he was. Everyone knew how stubborn he was. You might say that Nabal's reputation preceded him. Lord Chesterfield years ago had said, you cannot outrun a bad reputation. And so his reputation preceded him. Nabal had a reputation of of being hard, being stubborn, being belligerent. He also had a reputation of of being a shrewd businessman, if not a cutthroat businessman. He he had a reputation of being very, very rich, but he also had the reputation of, of, of being the kind of guy that no one could talk to, no one could reason with. Harvey McKay had said, you cannot buy a good reputation. And so Nabal might have been very rich, but his character was bankrupt. And, and the truth is that no amount of money was going to change how everyone, including his own wife evidently, how everyone viewed him, how everyone saw him. Proverbs 22 uh, verse 1 warns us saying, choose a good reputation over great riches. And so verse 18 continues and says, then Abigail made... Hold on a minute. <coughs> that just came, <coughs> came from nowhere. Let me wipe the water out of my eyes after that sneeze. Okay, back to regularly scheduled program. <clears throat> then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and, and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and, and five sayas of, of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cake, uh, I'm sorry, fig cakes and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go before me and behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. We'll pause here. So she realizes that she she can't go and, and talk to her husband. She can't reason with her husband. Why? Because she knows he cannot be reasoned with. Even as Proverbs 23, 9 says, don't waste your breath on fools for they will despise the wisest advice. 
She knew it was a waste of her breath. She knew that, 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 that it was foolish to reason with her fool of a husband. So she just goes directly to David and deals with David and, and, and basically, frankly, gives David what her, what her fool of a husband should have been giving in the first place. She shows up with 200 loaves of bread, a couple of jugs of wine, five sheep, some raisins, 200 fig cakes. Basically, she understood that the way to a man's heart was through his stomach. And so verse 20, and as she rode on the donkey, she, she came down under the, the cover of the mountains. And behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now, David had said, surely in vain I've guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned to me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried down and, and got down from the donkey and fell down before David on her face and bowed to the ground. And she, and she fell at his feet and she said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. You got to love a wife who just calls it like it is. She, she's like, my husband's a fool and everyone knows it. Uh, and she continues and says, but, but, but I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and, and from saving with your own hand, now let your, uh, let, let your enemies and, and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. So she's saying, look, you know, don't, don't take matters in your own hands. Let the Lord deal with this. Verse 27, and now let, let, let this present that, that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and, and evil should not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and in the care of, of, of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. She's catered this message to the, messenger, to, to the receiver of the message, right? She knows who she's talking to. This is David, the one who slayed Goliath with nothing but a slingshot. She's like, oh yeah, all your enemies are going to fall just by a sling. I mean, you know, the, the Lord's with you. I, you know, you're, you're going to slay them all with a slingshot. Verse 30. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the, all the good that he's spoken concerning you and has appointed you as prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or, or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for, or, or, or for my Lord having to work salvation for himself. When the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt, from working salvation by my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come down to meet me, truly by morning there would not have been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought to him. And David said to her, go in peace to your house. See, I've obeyed your voice and I've granted your petition. Now there's a lot there, but it was important to have the whole context of that dialogue. So we look at this and, 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 and she comes to David and she makes this appeal and she's like, you got to forgive my fool of a husband. He's just living up to his name. <laughs> it's what his parents named and, you know, and he, he, like his name, he, he's a fool. 
But she's like, David, listen, if, if you kill him, then you're basically stooping down to his level. If you go and kill this fool, you're stooping down to this fool's level. And then one day when you become the king, not if, but when you become the king, then you'll be remembered as the guy who stooped down to Nabal's level, this fool's level. And ultimately, this reminds us how foolish it is to stoop down to their level. You know, I mean, maybe you find yourself in a, in a heated debate with someone who, who thinks they already know everything. You find yourself in an, in an argument with the smartest guy in the room. Listen, in that moment, you've already lost. You've already lost because, listen, arguing with them isn't going to make them wiser. No, you stooping down to their level and arguing with them makes you look more foolish. When you stoop down to their level, you look just as foolish as they look. Again, we read it earlier, but this is why Proverbs 26 verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Or as the playwright George Bernard Shaw put it, he said, never wrestle with a pig because you'll both get dirty and the pig likes it. So this is her advice to, to, to David. She's like, don't stoop down to his level. Let God deal with this. Now, as we pick it up in verse 36 through 38, we discover that the only thing worse than a fool is a drunk fool. Verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. And she told him nothing until the morning light. And, and in the morning, when, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. And, and, and he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Now, it's interesting. It tells us that he wasn't just drunk. It tells us he was very drunk. Now listen, uh, you know, we've all been around people who've had way too much to drink, you know, and there's some people, the more they drink, the louder they get, right? There's other people, it's like, it's like, you know, the more they drink, the funnier they think they are. I said, think they are. And, and then there's those who, who, after a few drinks, they think that other people are better looking than they really are. We call that beer goggles, right? And then there's those who, after a few drinks, they think that they themselves are better looking than they really are. You know, they're like, I don't always drink, but when I do, I look like Tom Cruise. You know, but then there's the mean drunk. The more they drink, the angrier they get. That was Nabal. And so Abigail realizes she, 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 she can't go and talk to him. She can't reason with him. There's no way she could bring this up and, and, and talk with Nabal about this. Why? Because there's no way she could bring it up without him raging out of control. And look, I, I, I know that, that, that many of you, myself included, have, 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 have lived in a home like this, the home with, 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 a, with a mean drunk. I grew up in homes like this. And so many of us, we, we, we've seen this. We've seen the yelling. We've seen the holes punched in the wall. We've seen things flying around the house. We've seen you know, the name calling. We've seen the violence. We've seen this before. Listen, there's a reason Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Nabal was a fool. He wasn't wise. He thought he was wise. But he, he, he lived a fool and he died in his foolishness. And now as we finish this chapter, we discover, however, there was more than one fool in this passage. <clears throat> Verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who, who has avenged the insult that I received at the hand of Nabal, and he's kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. 
Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, and they said to her, David has sent us to take you to him to be his wife. And she rose and bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And then Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michal, his daughter, uh, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who is in Galim. So there's a lot there. We, we see, first of all, that David now, uh, you know, he takes Abigail to be his wife, but then it also says that he also took Ahinoam to also be his wife, but then we also discover that he's no longer married to Michal, Saul's daughter. He gave her to someone else. Now, as we read this, we have to understand that, that in that day, in that day, uh, uh, the, the more wives that a king had, the more powerful he was viewed. So if there was a king that only had two wives, he wasn't very powerful. They say, oh, he's just a two-wife king. But if he had 10 wives, he was a very powerful king. So the more wives that the king had, the more powerful he was viewed. So we, we might call them trophy wives, but in that day they were called a harem, the king's harem. Now, one could argue that, that, that David knew that sooner or later he would one day be the king of Israel himself. And so it's almost as if he was preparing for the day that he would become the king. He knew that he'd become a king, so he starts his wife collection early. To, to start his reputation early, to, to build the harem early, to, to build this reputation of power even before he becomes the king. And so he sees how, how the rest of the kings and all the rest of the world, they have wife after wife after wife, and he's taking his cues from the world. There's just a problem. The, the problem with that is that Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17 says, Neither shall he, that's the king, multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So the problem was, was that David was taking his cues from the world and not from the word. In fact, he, he foolishly seems to think that, that Deuteronomy 17 does not apply to him. Uh, I like how Warren Wiersbe in his commentary put it. He said, he said, David was a godly man and a gifted leader, but the best of men are but men at their best. And so yes, in the Bible, David is called a man after God's own heart, a man after, the, a man after God's heart, but the problem is that deep down, he still had a sinful heart. And, and by the way, we cannot forget how this chapter started. Remember, this chapter started, this chapter opened with what? The death of the prophet Samuel. The death of, of the last beacon of righteousness, so to say. And now it seems that, that Samuel's dead. It seems that everyone, including David himself, are now doing what is right in their own eyes. And so what we're seeing is really the, the first sign of a character flaw in the heart of David that eventually leads to, to not only his affair with a woman by the name of Bathsheba, but then also to him murdering her husband to cover up his own sin. And so in many ways, what, what, what David is sowing in this chapter of his life, he's going to reap later on in the Bathsheba chapter of his life. And by the way, we should also point out that the Bible is, is, is not condoning polygamy. Polygamy, of course, meaning having more than one wife. 
The Bible's not condoning polygamy. You know, there are some who think that because the Bible mentions it, because the Bible talks about polygamy, that it's endorsing it or that it's, that it's promoting it. Like Cam Newton, for example, a former NFL quarterback. Uh, last year, he was, he was on a podcast in an interview, and, and Cam Newton said that, quote, the Bible condones polygamy. He says, because there, there's a lot of high-profile men in the Bible. He says, men like, like David or, or even Solomon, who, by the way, was the wisest man in all the earth. And they had multiple wives and concubines. And so Cam Newton concludes that because the Bible mentions it, that the Bible endorses it. Listen, the, the, the Bible doesn't endorse polygamy. The Bible is not promoting polygamy. In fact, I just showed you Deuteronomy 17 that in fact condemns polygamy, prohibits uh, polygamy. You see, listen, the Bible doesn't promote sin. It reveals sin. It exposes sin. And so what's happening here in this passage is that this passage is revealing that what, what was hiding and lurking in the heart of David. That for as godly as he was, for a man of character that he was, he still had sin in his heart. It's revealing what's lurking there that is one day going to lead to his downfall. Now, like, speaking of polygamy, I do like the way Mark Twain dealt with it years back. He had a friend that was a Mormon. Now, now this is when Mormonism openly taught that polygamy was a good thing. And so, and so Mark Twain's debating with him about polygamy. And, and his Mormon friend says, well, you, you show me one verse in the Bible that, that says I cannot have two wives. Mark Twain smiled and said, well, the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. Uh, so. And so in this chapter this morning, where, where, where we see that, that David is dealing with this fool of a man named Nabal, it, it, it shows us that perhaps the biggest takeaway when it comes to dealing with fools is to frankly never deal with fools. You know, even as it says in Proverbs 29, verse 9, if, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. There is no peace. Proverbs 14, 7 says, Stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. The best way to deal with fools is to stay away from fools. However, the, the fact that, 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 that David has this interaction, he, he's dealing with Nabal, his, his dealing with Nabal the fool reminds us really, frankly, of, of several lessons from the book of Proverbs when it comes to dealing with fools. For example, the book of Proverbs tells us that fools start fights. Fools start fights. Proverbs 18, 6, it says, a fool's lips walks into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Reminds me of an old Chinese proverb that says, a big mouth invites a fat lip. And that was Nabal. He's running his mouth, and now he almost got himself killed. Not only that, but the book of Proverbs tells us that a fool has a short fuse. Uh, Proverbs 12, 16, it says, A fool is quick-tempered. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. That was Nabal. He's mouthing off. He's spouting off. He's, he's, he has a reputation of being harsh and hard and, 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 and the kind of person no one can talk to. He's spouting off, but the problem is that David was about to fight foolishness with foolishness. David also had a short fuse. He's like, you know what? You want to mouth off? Then I'm going to grab my sword. I'm going to grab all my men, and we're coming in. Likewise, we're told in the Proverbs that the fool thinks he's the smartest person in the room. Proverbs 18.2, it says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. That was Nabal. 
He didn't want to listen. He didn't want to receive advice. He thought he had all the answers. And then, and, 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 and then we see that, 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 that with that, the Bible tells us, the Proverbs tell us that, that fools never seek the advice of others. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he, he, but, but he who's wise, he's, I'm sorry, but he who heeds counsel is wise. You had it up there in front of you. You could have read it. As we look at this, we see that Nabal, as I mentioned earlier, was not the only fool in this chapter. Because while, while, while David had no problem confronting Nabal's foolishness, at the same time, David had a problem confronting himself. And, 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 and so frankly, David reminds us how foolish it is to confront everyone else's sin while ignoring our own sin. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, when he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How, how can you say to your brother, let me take the, the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I've shared this before, but that word speck... And, and, and the word plank in the original Greek have the same root word, meaning that the only difference was in the size, in the quantity. In other words, the reason I'm able to spot just the smallest speck of sin in your life is because, frankly, I've got so much more of the same thing in my own life. Like how my friend Randy Golden up, uh, up at Calvary Chapel in Wyoming put it. He said, he said, it's amazing how bad my sin looks when someone else is wearing it. And so the lesson from all this is, is simply this. Before we deal with all the sins of all these other fools, we should probably confront the fool in the mirror. Amen? So Father, we, we, we thank you that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. And Lord, it's easy to spot the, the, the faults and the fallacies and the errors and the sins in everyone else. But Lord, we, 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 we need your word, which James tells us is our mirror. We need your word to reveal what's in us. Search us if there's any iniquity in us. Lord, the issue isn't our brother. It's not our sister. It's not the guy down the street. The issue is us. We, like David, have a sinful heart. We might have a heart for you, but we also have a sinful heart. So purge anything that's not of you away from us. Deal with us. Deal with this fool before you deal with these other fools. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.